Hey, how's it going? I'm Nick, the host of the Echo Academy podcast, a podcast where we tap into the world's collective wisdom and experience to learn how we can be more resilient. In today's episode, I speak with Jolene Gui, a registered psychologist and founder of Clarity Counseling and Consulting. Our conversation revolves around the topic of trauma, both in ourselves and in the people around us. This topic is particularly important in 2020. With the explosion of COVID-19, to the recession, to the race riots and the fight for reform in the US, we've seen many examples of potential trauma-inducing experiences. Jolene shares with us what trauma actually is, how to tell if you or someone you care about has it, and what we can do about it. More importantly, using examples of our current climate, Jolene shares with us why it's important, now more than ever, to acknowledge someone's suffering, regardless of whether you believe in it or not. Because ultimately, that first interaction will shape how he or she gets help or recovers. This was truly an educational conversation for me, and I'm positive it will be for you too. So, I hope you enjoy it. So let's get to the heart of today's topic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) and that's really around uh, dealing with traumatic experiences. I think what's interesting is... um, when I when I first came to you regarding, uh, you know, having this particular interview was really around this COVID nineteen situation. But you know, uh, since we last spoke about this, you know, so many things have happened. You know, I mean, the the I suppose the natural effect of COVID or the mm. cascading effect of COVID was, you know, the job insecurity, and as a result, you know, millions of jobs have been lost as well. And mm. then after that, you know, we also had the uh, the 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 issues that, that are happening in the US with uh, mm. the murder right. of George Floyd, and, mm. and 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 I suppose those. Um, generational trauma, especially with regards to race. So I think, you know, in terms of trauma, there's so many, so, so mm. much that has happened that I suppose is mm. re- really relatable. So it, it, I'm sure it'll be a really interesting conversation. But mm-hmm. I suppose before that, what would be good, especially, you know, to have a to have uh, someone of your your stature, I suppose, uh, to explain to us what it means to go through a traumatic experience? Mm. Well, you know, I think um, the simplest way um, to really kind of describe it, I always kind of go back to one of my favorite authors um, in in the trauma field. And she was um, basically the first, um, kind of the first book I read, you know, as, as a graduate student. Um, and her name is uh, Judith Herman. And she wrote this book in 1992 called uh, Trauma and Recovery. And in that, she said, uh, I'm going to quote Judith Herman here, uh, traumatic events are extraordinary, not because they occur rarely, but rather because they overwhelm the ordinary human adaptations to life. 
So traumatic events generally involve threats to life or bodily integrity or a close personal encounter with violence and death. Um, these events confront human beings with the extremities of helplessness and terror and evoke the responses of catastrophe. So since you know, the trauma field um, emerged, um, essentially around the time of the Vietnam War, um, that was when you know, intensive um, research into trauma um, was initiated in the US. And out of that research, we finally had uh, what we call now the PTSD diagnosis. So pre prior to that, you know, PTSD was not recognized as a clinical diagnosis, right? Um, only after intensive research of the veterans that returned home from the Vietnam War, and then they couldn't actually um, go back to their normal lives because they had all these traumatic symptoms that were impairing their normal lives, right? And then the experts realized that, hey, we are really dealing with something very different that's different, completely different from anxiety or depression. And so they, they kind of really made an effort to understand the phenomenon of, of PTSD. Um, but since the beginning of the research into the trauma field, we have now realized that, you know, trauma exists um, on a spectrum, right? And in the trauma field, we always talk about the big T's and the small T's, right? Um, so the big T's are what you and I probably associate with, with trauma, right? Like uh, war or like um, tsunamis and earthquake and floods um, or, you know, even right now, like exactly you've described, which is the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, you know, that threat of contagion. Uh, the, the threat of a fatal disease is definitely what we call, you know, there's a potential for a big T, right? And then there's the small T as well. The small T is what sometimes we overlook, you know, but most of us have had gone through, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, you've realized this as well, that, you know, um, life is full of the unexpected. Life is full of crisis and, and issues and challenges, right? And so um, we have kind of like small T's as well. Like for instance, a small T could be um, a road accident, right? And that happens unfortunately quite regularly in life. Um, or it could be a, a, a very um, unexpected traumatic relationship breakup that can also have a huge impact on our psyche, right? Whether you're breaking up with a romantic partner or we're breaking up with a best friend that can also be pretty um, traumatic for some people, um, you know, and even like the loss of a, of a job right now, a lot of people, like you said, are struggling financially and it, it's an unexpected job loss, that could be a small T as well, right? Um, so the idea of, um, well, the concept of trauma is, is not that it is mm, um, extraordinary, but, but because they overwhelm us, right? they overwhelm us and therefore it becomes extraordinary, you know. So traumatic stress reactions are simply normal reactions to abnormal circumstances. Yeah. So right. this idea that, you know, when someone feels tra traumatized, you know, um, it, they don't have an issue. It's not that they, there's something wrong with them. You know, I just want to get that right out. You know, be very clear about that, you know, because they are having a very normal emotional response to an abnormal circumstance, right? Just like this COVID-19 crisis. I mean, um, none of us has 
I don't think I expected to live through a pandemic in our lifetime, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I wasn't... No, I wasn't, me definitely not. No. <laughs> yeah, not predicting that, right? So this is an absolutely abnormal circumstance. Like this, even the circumstances of a lockdown, right? The lockdown itself is extraordinarily abnormal, you know? We are like social creatures. We need to feel connected. We need face-to-face interactions. And now millions of people are being isolated, right? And this is extremely abnormal. So if you are in, you know, in the middle of a lockdown and a pandemic and you're feeling irritable or anxious or lethargic or demotivated, I would say that's quite a normal reaction to an abnormal circumstance. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's... I, I'm curious. That, so does it because, you know, that most of us, I would say, would have experienced a small T trauma. Mm. Um, does it matter if we define it as trauma? Is it important for us to identify it as a traumatic experience? Well, I think it's, you see, this is where the semantics come in place, right? I always, when I was teaching um, this module, I think it was called crisis and trauma in a tertiary institution, no crisis, trauma, and resilience. These are basically three main concepts that, you know, I took um, time to really differentiate because they're quite important. So you could think of it as an event starts out as a crisis, right? Whether it's a pandemic or a job loss or a relationship breakup, they're all crisis, right? So basically they're challenges. But whether they overwhelm you is another thing altogether, right? Yeah. Okay, so whether it's overwhelming and and, and you feel like it's intolerable and it exceeds your coping mechanisms, right? That's another thing altogether, right? And to the extent that it exceeds its coping mechanisms, it's very individual as well, right? So we we also have the saying in the trauma field that the same same event can happen to two people but the two people can have very different responses to the same event. No two people will have the same response to the, to the same event, you know? So yeah. that's why, you know, when I think um, when we talk about trauma, it is, we were very sensitive to, re- I mean, very cognizant of the fact that people have very different coping mechanisms, right? So if we're going through the same pandemic or the same um, earthquake or the same flood that doesn't mean that all of us have the same traumatic response some people will cope extraordinarily well and you know I think this is what is very like positive from the from the studies that have shown uh, come up so far in resilient studies that the statistic now is about 70 percent of us actually will recover right. from from a crisis right without long-standing post-traumatic stress symptoms you know, so we are naturally resilient. You know, we, we, we have that innate ability to recover from crisis and challenges without developing PTSD, you know. But there is a percentage of the population, you know, that will develop PTSD. And that percentage of the population needs extra care and extra attention. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really like the... Uh the analogy because it's I suppose it's well not analogy but phrase that's because it's easy for us to understand and that's um, where it exceeds our coping mechanisms or our ability Mm. to cope so that's Mm -hmm. a good reminder Um, so does that also mean that let's say we've experienced um, you know that particular uh, trauma or 
however else we choose to call it. Mm. Um, let's say that happens and we overcome it. Does that mean our coping mechanisms become stronger generally or just for that specific instance? I, I'm just curious. Uh, I know this was mm-hmm. not there. No, no, it's totally fine. Yeah. So I think, for instance, if you... Let's take um, relationships because I feel like, you know, relationships are, are one of the the things that are under constant threat and stress in this pandemic, right? In lockdown. Yeah. Either you're kind of what, what I call in and enforce closeness with with your family members, and that could go either way, right? Or <laughs> <Yeah>. you're, <laughs> you you are in, um enforced isolation when you're separated from your boyfriend or your fiance, and that could also go either way, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So so relationships are really you know under a lot of pressure in in this time of pandemic. So let's let's use a relational example, right? So if if you've gone through a relationship breakup pretty common experience, right? For an adult, right? Um, right? Yeah, we've all gone through our share of breakups and we've all maybe responded to them quite differently in terms of our personality or coping mechanisms or our upbringing or our values or, or you know, et cetera. So I think we will cope, you know, how we cope with the first breakup is probably how we will cope with the second and the third until that coping strategy no longer works. Right. Right. Yeah. So for instance, you know, if you've ha- had a first relationship breakup and you coped with it by, I don't know, can, can you give me an example, Nicholas? How does, how do men generally cope with breakups <laughs> nowadays? <laughs> uh, 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 how about oh. this? I can use myself as an example. Okay, and, I can, yeah, and, and, and I can also tell you how it changed me. So my yeah. very my very first relationship uh, after after we broke up uh, I mean or at least during the difficult moments I became insanely jealous you know of like mm. of like how you know other other men or other suitors were trying to to get with my mm-hmm. at that time soon to be ex girlfriend right mm-hmm. and, and 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 so I suppose jealousy because I, I just couldn't handle that kind of. Uh, uh, because it was all rocky, like jealousy became that one thing that kept coming up. But as a as a as a result of that, what I found really interesting was that in future relationships, I think that almost that jealousy ten the jealous tendency was almost eliminated. As as such, you know, I'm not jealous of anything or anyone anymore. So I don't know if that's something like a that's a coping mechanism where I just choose to suppress or whether it's a mm. subconscious thing but yeah. what's interesting is like i'm neither jealous of people's success or if like if uh, uh someone is trying to 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 you know attract my my partner for example that jealousy mechanism is all has almost disappeared so maybe maybe that i don't know if that's a good example mm, so you, you mean that you don't get jealous right now even like in the present moment yeah yeah and and that's Ooh. something interesting it feels abnormal but i suppose i wouldn't have it any other way because that part of me was so ugly and i didn't like myself mm. during that right. period yeah 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 so it, it sounds like you know that coping strategy of jealousy was too costly right or you saw the cost of that strategy and this is what happens for most of us right when our coping strategies no longer work for us or the cost exceeds the benefit of the strategy Yep. You know, 
So when cost exceeds the benefit, we have to find another way of coping. So it sounded like you found another way of coping, whether it was logic or uh, detachment, whatever that was, that helped you to let go of the jealousy and find another way of coping. You know, okay, so okay. yeah, so we will always cope the way that we have coped in the past, unless that coping strategy, like I said, no longer works or costs too much. You know, yeah. So for instance, a lot of people cope by, for instance, um, maybe alcohol dependence, right? So yeah. it could be that alcohol dependence worked in the past, so we we do it again to cope with stress or isolation. But then for some people, the dependency becomes too much and too costly, right? Maybe it affects their work or their health or their sleep. And then they realize, oh, actually, this doesn't, <laughs> this is not really sustainable, right? Yeah. <laughs> so then, then, then you have to find something else. So you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's 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 interesting that 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 you bring that up because um, now that you mention it, I suppose how we deal with one, uh, and and mm. I'm I'm thinking of the 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 alcohol example. You know, like let's say we deal with a bad relationship by by um, turning to alcoholism. Mm. Um, it almost seems like because let's say if it numbs our pain and our sorrows, I'm sure it has like uh, effects for any future problem we we might have, regardless of of whether it's a breakup or not, right? Where so let's say if we if we are retrenched or mm-hmm. if we if yeah. we witness a death in the family, we're like okay, alcoholism because it numbed my pain before. Is that true? Right, right, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So not just um, so how we cope with one breakup could be the same coping strategy. Uh, not not one breakup, one crisis, <laughs> one challenge. <Yeah. laughs> it could be the same way of coping with other challenges and crises because we are, um, you know, creatures of habit, right? I mean, essentially, human beings. We just repeat what we know until it doesn't work anymore. So absolutely right. So um, I think of alcohol dependency is kind of like one of the, you know, kind of items under this whole category of avoidance strategies, you know. So if you are in in the habit of avoiding problems, uh, there are many ways to avoid a problem, as you know, not just by alcohol, but just to 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 even just not acknowledge it exists, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, not to talk about it. Um, so if you, you are a kind of a avoidant kind of type personality, then you might have a whole host of avoidant strategies, right? You might avoid people. You might stay silent for too long. You might, you know, um, have excessive um, substance uh, abuse uh, or substance use. Um, and that's how you cope with challenges or crisis, whether it's a relational one or a job one or a financial one. Yeah. So that would be kind of, you know, your go-to kind of coping template until it doesn't work anymore, right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It's it's funny that you you brought up the point of avoidance because I think, you know, especially in the uh the 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 issue of race relations in the US now, mm. right? You know, many mm. people have have as a coping mechanism have sought to avoidance. And now all of a sudden, you know, there's this like incredible mm. pressure for them to deal with mm. the, the situation head on, which in my personal opinion is a bit unfair because, you know, especially if someone is used to avoiding the problem because, you know, maybe they don't have the mm. adequate coping mechanisms mm. to deal with that experience. Mm. And now mm. everyone's like, oh, if you're silent, then you're, you're just supporting mm. racism. I think in my opinion, that's incredibly unfair, but I, I don't know what it is, is. Is it fair to be asking people to change the way they deal with 
as these mm. kind of experiences? I don't know if I would want to kind of say yes or no to that question, but I do want to first acknowledge that you know I think what we are seeing um, really in in the US is the unfortunate collision of two pandemics. Right, I think most people have really recognize that the COVID-19 pandemic and the racism pandemic, they are not unrelated. Um, that, yeah, so we are seeing the, the huge kind of collision of these two viruses, right, um, into one. It's a combustion because, um, you know, because I think racism, you know, systemic racism has been a long, deep-seated issue in, in the U.S. that has not been addressed Um for decades, if not if not centuries, right? Yeah. Um, and I think with COVID nineteen, with the inequalities in the healthcare system, I think this has been all brought to light. And you know, when I look at the live streams or the videos online, mm, there's no denying, right, that what we're seeing is an outpouring of collective trauma and grief. Yes, and absolutely. when we when we look at the streets of people who are angry and grieving. That's that's what collective trauma looks like, you know. And remember again what I said in the beginning of our chat that when we respond to trauma, the response isn't abnormal. That's not the abnormal thing, right? Yes. It's a normal reaction to an abnormal circumstance. So this rage and grief and demand for justice is actually a normal response to deep systemic racism that has not been addressed. That has not been heard, right? So, I mean, I, I mean, it's, um, it's a very unfortunate thing to witness. You know, I was, um, you know, even just witnessing it online was, was, you know, very emotionally impactful for me because I do, you know, I studied in the States and I have friends in the States that are, that are very affected by, by what is happening. And, um, I think before we can say what is right or what is wrong, I think we first have to acknowledge the pain and the grief and the anger that does exist, right? Because the thing about trauma is that it cannot be healed without being acknowledged. Absolutely. You know, yeah. So we can't heal the trauma, the collective trauma of generations of Black Americans without taking time to really listen and understand and acknowledge the hurt and the pain. Um, and, and really, I don't know how long that will take, but, you know, I think we need to hold space for them. Um, I'm not condoning, obviously, I'm not condoning violence or looting or anything like that. Um, but I think the large majority of the protesters have something valid to say. Um, and so... I think that's why it's been, you know, resonating across the world as well, right? I'm sure you've seen it resonated in, I heard even Europe and even Japan, there's, there's been protests on the streets against racism because, um, you know, it's something that if you've been ever subjected to racism in your life, you know how much it hurts, right? You know how yes. much it can be deeply traumatic. Yeah, it can be deeply, sh- sh- you know, it's it's basically... Uh, uh, um, uh, yeah, it's 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 bullying. It's bullying, right? It, to the yeah. to the fullest extent. Yeah, and and any victim of bullying knows knows how knows how traumatic it can it can feel, right? And that 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 event stays with you for so long. Whether it's a it's a you know, and some of the I think this acts of discrimination. The problem with acts of discrimination 
Um, and I speak, uh, you know, from my experience of being a minority race in the U.S. for about four, four years as well, that the yeah. acts of discrimination sometimes is so insidious, right? Um, yeah. um, in, in psychology, we call them microaggressions. So you don't know what happened. Like, you know, you, you're like, oh, did that just happen? Did that just happen to me? And, and, then, and then obviously there's always this question, like, did I, was it my fault, right? Yeah. I don't know if you, yeah, did I do something to, 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 to deserve that? You know, is it my fault? Should I have, you know, been more polite? Should I, <laughs> you know? So this, this, this um, I think that's why trauma is, is, um, needs to be heard and acknowledged first before, before any recovery can, can happen, right? Um, yeah. We need to really say, yes, that happened and that's wrong, right? Whether it's trauma from racism or trauma from sexual assault, which Unfortunately, we've, we've been seeing a rise in cases, right, in Singapore as well. Yeah. In, in, yeah. It's about saying, you know, it's really acknowledging the event and, and really hearing, hearing it from, from the victim's perspective and validating her, his or her experience, right, um, and saying, yes, that was, that was horrible and I'm sorry that you had, have to go through that. That's part of the healing process. Yeah. yeah, I must I must say that that was probably the most relatable thing um, uh, that I've heard. And, and to be honest, as in, it, it's it's funny because um, even though I, as a minority race in in, in Singapore, mm. I've, I've experienced mm. racism. It isn't as much, or it wasn't as significant as as much as I experience. I suppose um, the the discrimination for for class i suppose or mm, or, or, right. or societal differences i think for me that was more prevalent i think i experienced that more and mm. as a result you know my i i do have a little bit of a tendency I, I i guess i've improved a lot since then but you know when i was schooling especially i i had such an inferiority complex as a result of that um uh, yeah, and it was and and it was funny because uh, where when you when you brought those up when you brought those things up, it's mm-hmm. hard because especially in a country like uh, Singapore and uh, don't get me wrong, like I love Singapore. It's it's a wonderful place for me, especially. But you know, it's very hard to to uh, to have our voices heard when we are discriminated against like mm-hmm. this because. Mm-hmm. The acknowledgement is few and far between, and and mm. and and there isn't a, a space that people hold for 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 that acknowledgement. So I think, in a way, a, as bad as the situation is in the US, you know, yeah. there there seems to be an outlet, regardless of what you whether you choose to accept that that form of expression. Whereas in Singapore, I felt like, or oh, I feel like, there isn't that much mm. of. Uh, a space but right, I don't know, it right. could just be me yeah no I think that's a very valid point of view that we maybe need to have more collective spaces right I mean I think that's what maybe you're speaking about um, that maybe how can we as a society as a, as a collective acknowledge um, the acts of discrimination that have taken place right um, and it doesn't the thing about acknowledgement is that you don't have to be the perpetrator to acknowledge it you know what I mean Absolutely. Um, yeah, it, you like that's why I think that. Um, so we talk about this in trauma recovery as well. That part of trauma recovery, when someone comes to a therapist with a history of trauma, part of my work as a therapist is just to witness, is to witness your experience. 
And that can be incredibly powerful, right? To have a non-judgmental, compassionate witness to experience is part, I would say, the foundation of the healing um, process, right? Even though I'm not the perpetrator, I had no, no part to take you know, in the event, but just being here and saying, yes, that happened and that shouldn't have happened is powerful, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, just just that simple act of acknowledging the injustice that exists, whether collectively, whether relationally, interpersonally. I think these are the small steps that we can take as individuals or as citizens, right? Um, even though we may not be able to take, you know, go on the streets and protest here, but we can start that healing, I guess, in our small ways by being witnesses to to people that we love to our friends and our family, when they come to us and say, well, this happened and I'm hurt, whatever that event is, I think that's when we can be a compassionate witness, you know, we start that, that chain of healing, you know, and um, hopefully that chain of healing uh, will spread, right, beyond yeah. ourselves. Yeah. I, I like that term, compassionate witness, you know. Mm. It's so true, you know. It, we don't really have to... to to solve any problems, but just to let someone express their anger mm. and hurt. I, mm. I, I, I think that's a beautiful segue to the question, one of the questions I have for you. And that is, you know, if we have experienced a, a traumatic experience before, or if we do so in the future, mm. how should we begin to, I suppose in your words, acknowledge it, but then after that to deal with it as well? So, um, first of all, you know, I always go back to normalizing the traumatic stress response. And I think this is a good point for me to also just take a moment here um, to differentiate between um, PTS and PTSD, right? So okay. post-traumatic stress without the D, right? <laughs> um, yeah. they, are, they, they often overlap in symptoms, but they're very different, right? So the PTS, post-traumatic stress, is common and normal and often adaptive when we're experiencing a traumatic or stressful event. Almost everyone who experiences a stressful, scary situation will show at least a few signs of PTS, you know. Um, and so some, some of the symptoms of PTS could be, you know, just confusion or exhaustion or anxiety or numbness. Um, and these are normal, right? But they will be self-limited. So they will all kind of like, pass in time you know they will all kind of fade away in time and like I said before most of us are incredibly resilient and so the the post-traumatic stress symptoms will naturally kind of uh, fade away however with with PTSD though um, these are symptoms that don't go away right um, they they are symptoms um, that are very, very intense, that impair your normal life functioning, like you, you might not be able to eat or, or sleep or go to work, and, and they don't improve or subside on their own, you know. So that's kind of a big, you know, difference um, when, when we talk about PTSD versus PTSD. Okay, so for, for your question, um, I think, first of all, um, I think I might have to kind of explain what happens a little bit to the brain when we are traumatized. Is that okay? Of course. Um, yeah, that's so, very interesting. <laughs> okay. So, so because we, if I don't explain that, it's kind of hard to kind of link it back to how then can we deal with it, you know? Okay. Yes, so got it. 
Yeah, so um, first, the first thing to recognize, whether it's PTS or PTSD, is that um, when we encounter a traumatic event, there will be what we call hyperarousal. You know, your nervous system is on high alert. And you might have heard of this, I'm sure you've heard of this phrase before called the fight or flight response, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I always like to bring people back to National Geographic when I explain fight or flight <laughs> response. <laughs> it's one I mean sometimes I watch Nat Geo just to relax you know I mean but okay so Nat Geo right I mean one of the most typical scenes of um of, of that in any Nat Geo documentary right is is kind of a prey versus a predator right predator yep. versus prey right so we've all seen the scene where like the deer is um munching on on grass with its with, the, with its buddies right and then out of the corner of the eye uh, of its eye, the, the deer looks, you know, to the left or whatever and sees 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 a lion or a lioness. Usually right. the lioness, right? Yeah. And so then you can see literally, right, in that moment, the deer goes to fight or flight. You can actually see that, right? Um that the, the deer becomes hypervigilant, the deer pricks up its ears, its whole body becomes tense, and that's what happens to us as well. You're watching yourself, okay? <laughs> You're watching yourself go into fight or flight because in that moment, right, um, what happens in our brain is that um, this button, I call it the panic button, like if you, if you, if you picture like this red flashing button in your brain, um, that's called the amygdala. Right. So the amygdala actually controls our fear response, you know, um, and that switches on, okay? So when we see a threat, whether it's a lioness, or, or your house burning down, or the COVID pandemic, or uh, uh, somebody uh, suspicious, you know, lurking in the alleyway, your panic button goes on. Okay, so yeah. then your fight or flight kicks in, and the adrenaline and the cortisol they rush to your limbs and give you additional energy, and that's what the deer does. The deer runs, right? Correct. So yeah. in that split second, the deer is actually calculating fight or flight. Can I fight this predator? Oh, he has stronger muscles than me. He has big teeth. Cannot fight, right? <laughs> that happens in like two seconds in the brain, you know? And we, we do that as well. We calculate, can we fight this uh, crisis? Oh, we can't fight this crisis. Then we will run. We will leave, right? Yeah. So that's what's happening in, in the net geo scene. The deer runs. And, and that's how most of us actually respond to danger. And that's the thing with human beings, of course. This also applies to real or imaginary danger. Yeah. So, yeah. So whenever we get anxious in the middle of the night, (laughs) we can't sleep, you know, and we're thinking of all the things that might go wrong the next day. Literally, this is your biological response to your imaginary danger, right? Um, So what, what happens in PTS or PTSD is that the, the, the kind of the simplest way to explain it, right, is your amygdala is kind of stuck. Okay? Yeah. So, so your amygdala, your, your panic button, hasn't been released. Even though the lion or the lioness isn't, isn't around anymore, the deer is still in fight or flight. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah? And so that's what they found happened with the returning veterans, right? Even though they were not at war anymore, they were still in fight or flight. So they had symptoms of hyperarousal, so some, some, like I said, some symptoms of, uh, symptoms of hyperarousal are like um, startled reactions. You know, you get startled very easily, right? Uh, you can't sleep. 
you might respond strongly to changes in light or sound or touch. And so basically the nervous system is kind of like stuck at the moment of trauma. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Yes, okay, yeah. So because that's what happens in trauma, a lot of our work in the trauma field is to help to regulate the nervous system. Okay, so we're talking about really just basic emotional regulation. How do we teach the nervous system to calm down? Okay, so this is what I think we can all practice. You know, this is why I think we, you know, it's great that if you can go to a therapist, but if you, if that's not accessible to you, I think the very basic skills of emotional regulation is available to everybody, you know? And so one of the most important basic skills um, that is accessible is what we call the relaxation response. I don't know if you've heard of it, Nicholas. I've not, I've not actually. Okay, yeah. So basically um, what we do in a relaxation response is kind of like the fancy term for like, relaxation, deep breathing, mindful um, elements of mindfulness as well, where we kind of like, okay, let's try to regulate the nervous system, right? Try to like bring it back to equilibrium, bring it back to calmness, okay? So basically just really practicing deep breathing, for instance, right? The, the, most, the most beautiful thing about deep breathing is that you don't have to process any of your traumatic memory to be able to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So um, we have learned in the trauma field as well is that sometimes the most um, effective intervention is not to process every single traumatic memory because sometimes that can lead to re-traumatization, you know? Um, and we, we never want to re-traumatize the client. So the very first thing we do is to equip the person with self-regulation skills, which is part of which is uh, the relaxation response, right? Can this person calm herself? Is this person able to self-soothe, right? So, yeah. yeah. So to be able to regulate your nervous system is a skill that everybody can practice, you know? Because you see, right, when you regulate your nervous system, when you are having deep breaths, you're taking deep breaths, you're actually regulating your heartbeat. You realize that, right? Yes. It's very, it's very hard to have a fast heartbeat with deep breathing. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I learned that. I learned that during PE in school, uh, because, oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because they, they always say after you run, you know, whatever your two point four yeah. or whatever, yeah. they're like, okay, yeah. now you just need to, you know, inhale and exhale, yeah, so that you can kind of slow your heartbeat down. So yeah. that's the only reason why yeah. I know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So some, I mean, deep breathing is like the very kind of like the, the very kind of basic but fundamental kind of, you know, part of emotional regulation. But if you take deep breaths and your heart rate is slowed down, this actually affects how you feel as well. The anxiety will come down. The fight or flight response will naturally subside. The, the levels of adrenaline and cortisol will also naturally subside. And then you will feel overall calmer and more centered and more grounded, you know? And that's what happens, yeah, in, in the relaxation response, yeah. Gotcha. Mm. It's, uh, it, it, it's funny when you were mentioning the na- National Geographic analogy, um, it, 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 it struck enough because um, I actually, um, and I suppose it's a story I want to share with you as well, Jolene, because mm. I, I had the opportunity to go to the Serengeti in 2015 and wow. I actually, and I actually witnessed that 
<laughs> that situation happened in, in real life. And it was like, uh, it was a pack. It was actually a pack of lions uh, or lioness wow. uh, um, trying to hunt. I, I, I think it was a wildebeest. I don't really know the names, to be honest. But, but it, it was that actually that witnessing that moment that it kind of helped me understand my own personal battle with mental health. And I'll tell you why. I know it seems very, very f- distant, that relationship. But because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, I've always known about that fight or flight. And I, you know, you could, you could already sense that the wildebeest was, was noticing something was not right. And, you know, even though he, he realized that, you know, the predators were nearby and he started running, he just couldn't outrun five lions, right? Mm, and, of course. And at that moment, I realized just how lucky I was to be, you know, a human being where, you know, like even though I was uh, like struggling with depression and stuff like that, you know, it wasn't just fight or flight that I had in my arsenal, I also had creativity, mm. you know, for mm, example, and, 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 you know, and, and the reason why I, I, I kind of made that um, correlation, I suppose, was because I also visited the, the Maasai Mara tribe and, and lions never attacked their camp because, you know, the, the, the tribe have found ways to protect themselves against the lion or the predators. And, and that's what we have as humans. We have that kind of creativity to explore mm. alternative ways to deal with the threat. And we don't mm. always have to resort to the flight or flight, a fight or flight, but we can also consider creative ways to prevent the thing altogether. So it was, oh, that, yeah. it was that moment that kind of resonated with me and realized like, okay, you know, life is not that bad. I can figure out ways to deal and, you know, it's not always life or death. So yeah. yeah, that kind of resonated with me, yeah. your your analogy of Netgeo. Wow. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. That must have been really a powerful experience to witness that, right? In person. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Ah. I mean I mean I reflected on it um that evening. I mean it, when I saw it, you know, I was just like, whoa, take picture, take picture. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> you were a tourist, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolute tourist, yeah. So uh, but yeah, but then after that mm-hmm. I was like, huh. You know, I think that's the asset we have as humans, you know, to be able to problem solve and be creative. Mm. And so that should give us all hope regardless of whatever we go through in life. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think absolutely it's kind of when the moment you realize that your old coping mechanism is not the only coping mechanism, right? Like the yeah. fight or flight isn't the only option for you. There's a whole, uh, whole host of other options and that's what makes us uniquely human, Um we are, you know, the most innovative species, right? Um, so um, I think this is a, actually a really good kind of segue to what I wanted to elaborate on um, about, I mean, coincidentally, the, the moment you said creativity um, and that I have this option of creativity, I really wanted to kind of also add here that when our amygdala is switched on, when the panic button is switched on, um, you know, the neuroscientists um, and the brilliant neurobiologists that have been studying trauma for decades have shown that when we are afraid and, 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 and in fight or flight, what happens is that our executive functioning switches off. Okay, so right. the path, the neural pathway in your brain, right, to what we call your prefrontal cortex. Your prefrontal cortex basically is, is like your CEO of the brain, right? It's like right. your... Um, 
executive functioning um, position. So your basically that's where your creativity and your innovation and your long term thinking, your strategic thinking, your good decision making all all sits there, right? But we yeah. can't access that if we are in fight or flight, right? right. Because when amygdala switches on, prefrontal cortex switches off, right? So that's why the relaxation response, when we are able to switch off the amygdala by using our breath, right, with deep breathing, then the prefrontal cortex can switch back on. Does that make mm, sense? Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So this is that's why the neurobiology of it, you know, there's the body and the mind are completely connected. You know, the body and the mind are bi-directional. We have to remember that. They are absolutely connected. So if we want to be creative and innovative and make good decisions, we have to learn how to calm our bodies. We have to learn how to self-soothe, you know, oh, because, okay. right, that's the connection. Got mm. it. Yeah, right. Because you think about it logically, if your house is on fire, right, at that moment, you're panicking. And I ask you, hey, what's your five-year plan for your life? Can you answer me? <laughs> no, I, 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 I can just imagine you know when someone's uh, house is on fire a journalist yeah, yeah. just coming uh, yeah, what's your five year yeah 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 what do you think about the political landscape what's your five year plan I mean those questions take you know take the prefrontal cortex to answer that person will be like are you nuts you know <laughs> yeah. are you, I need to go save my my house you know um, so that's why the two modes of operation cannot coexist. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So the first thing we need to do when someone someone feels traumatized or is in crisis or feels intense fear is to literally just help that person calm the nervous system down so that person can access that prefrontal cortex and that calmness and strategic thinking and that creativity that you're talking about. Right. So cal calming yourself down and self-soothing yourself is really pivotal in, in, in dealing and overcoming any sort of experience, stressful experience. Mm, yeah, that's right. That's right. You can't basically deal with the stressful experience if you are feeling so anxious or, you know, to use a more common word, so triggered, right? Um, right. If, you're, yeah, if you're in that space, that space of fear, uh, anxiety you really can't think long term you can't think calmly so the very first step is to learn how to calm yourself wow that's awesome mm -hmm. well i've learned a lot i i suppose my final question for you is and 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 you've you've mentioned it earlier but i think maybe in the event you have other uh, things as well um how can we support people who go through traumatic experiences you know um, especially mm. if we, we don't have any professional background. Mm. I would say by and large, the, what, the number one thing is to be that compassionate witness and to validate their experience. Because what we have found as therapists, you know, I always ask this question when somebody comes to me um, with PTS or PTSD and let's say they're talking about the traumatic event. And I mean, I'm always sitting respectfully um, and, and listening, but I also ask them, have you told anyone? about this before before you told me right because do you do you know that is a such i don't know if you know this but that is a very important question right because research has shown 
that the person or persons that they tell the traumatic event to right after the traumatic event, whether it's tomorrow or one year later, it doesn't matter. But that response of that person or persons actually can impact the survivor deeply. Deeply. Right? Yeah. So, for instance, I'll take um, a sexual assault uh, example. Let's say a teen girl has been sexually assaulted. And she keeps it to herself because she's ashamed, right? I mean, you know, this, this is a very, unfortunately, you know, a lot of survivors feel this shame and guilt. Um, and they, for whatever reason, she keeps it to herself. And then finally, maybe a few months later, she tells an adult. She tells a counselor, a school counselor, or she tells a, a, her parent or an aunt. And the worst thing that can happen is that the adult invalidates the experience. Right? Right. Right. The adult says, no, it's, it, it, it couldn't have happened. Right? That's invalidating. Or the worst thing the person can say is, it, it, you must have done something to ask for it. Oh. That puts so much guilt and shame to the survivor I have. And when I listen to these stories, my heart just breaks. You know? And, and as therapists, we not only have to deal with the trauma of the original event, but we now have to deal with the secondary trauma of this invalidating experience. Because that secondary trauma can be even more traumatizing than the first trauma in some cases. Yeah. Right? Because can you imagine you, you finally decide to tell somebody, you finally decide to tell somebody your deep, deep, deep secret that you haven't told anybody and you're vulnerable and this very person that you told to, it to says it's your fault. How can you emerge from that experience without feeling so unsafe in the world and, you know, so vulnerable and so scared? Like, would you ever tell anybody else after that? You know, most of us won't, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think for us as friends or family or as a community, we have to be really mindful of that. When somebody comes to us and says, hey, something happened to me, something traumatic happened to me. You know, you don't have to understand the specifics. You don't have to agree. You don't even have to give a solution. The most important thing is to acknowledge, to believe, and to validate. You know, so that that person has the courage to heal from that experience. And your response is powerful, is important, right? If you have no words, right? You literally, some of us don't know what to say. That's fine. Just give the person a hug. You know, just say, I'm so sorry this happened to you. You don't have to use any fancy words, right? You don't have to, you know, say anything specific. You just have to be a friend, you know, to be that compassionate witness because your response is so powerful, can have such a deep impact. Yeah. Wow. Mm. That, that was very strong. I, I really felt that mm. uh, it's, it's so true. And, and I think if those those are i suppose the 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 big t events right and mm. i suppose we should also be mindful of of you know being compassionate mm. to the small t's and to acknowledge yes. that as well um definitely mm. i think i think in hindsight that has something that uh you know because maybe because I've experienced a big T when someone shares with me a small T, I've not been as empathetic as I should be. So this is a very, very 
important mm. moment for me at least to acknowledge that okay I need to be more uh, yeah. I need to acknowledge other people's small teas as well you know because yeah, it's definitely. just as important yeah definitely definitely and also to keep in mind I think in line with what you said that it actually whether it's a big tea or a small tea, what is most important is how the person, the, the extent to which the person feels affected by the crisis. Do you know what I mean? Right. So for I some do. people, you know, the small tea can actually be more impactful than the big tea. Right? Yeah. Because to us, oh my gosh, it's a big tea, right? It's a huge thing. But we didn't know that actually... Did, the small T's affected our friend even more, right? So for instance, again, to our uh, examples, so for some people, they're not so affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. They might not be, but they are more affected by their recent relationship breakup, right? right? But who are we to say what, who is more important, right? We are not here to judge. We are just here to support and validate, yeah? Yeah, so acknowledge support and validate those are the mm-hmm. three things you mentioned right mm, absolutely yeah got it mm-hmm. well that's a great way to i think end off the podcast because i'm mindful of your time as well um mm-hmm. uh, jolene before we end it off you know um maybe you can also uh, let us know uh, or let the listeners know uh, what you do and if they would like to get in touch you know to find out more about your services or how you can help them uh, how can they reach you yeah well um um i guess maybe yes sure happy to <laughs> sorry <laughs> i thought maybe we actually, maybe i should have done this at the beginning of the podcast oh no no because uh, <laughs> basically basically um i, I usually introduce the the oh, guest okay. in a pre-recorded um oh so you've done record- it already Okay, yeah, uh, okay. uh, but but I think it's it's more it's more authentic when it comes from the person when uh, especially mm. because I mean I I'm I always I'm always under the assumption that I would never do uh, as much justice as as it as compared to when it comes from the person's mouth because mm. they, they are driven by their own purpose and motivation. So that's why I want to give you that time to really explain what you do and how you can help others and also how they can reach you. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks. Thanks so much, Nicholas. So I am a, a psychologist and I've been practicing for about 10 years. And um, I originally um, studied uh, in Chicago in the US and then I came back and uh, I was with KK Women's and Children's Hospital for a while before entering private practice. Um, and in KK, I kind of specialize in women's health, uh, especially postnatal depression, as well as um, I was also part of the adolescent medicine team where I saw a lot of teenagers. Um, And then in private practice, you know, I see a variety of presentations, including anxiety, depression, as well as PTSD. Um, And I'm very passionate about the the field of trauma work because um, I think that, you know, as we've spoken about before, um, the, the roots of collective and intergenerational trauma are very deep, right? Um, But we must first start addressing um, trauma on the individual level, and that's where the healing uh, begins, you know. And I'm always so grateful to be doing the work that I do because I understand that it's really an honor and a privilege to um, have clients 
uh, trust me so wholeheartedly, you know, to to be um, a, a companion, really. I see myself as more of a companion and a facilitator in their healing journey. I, I don't see myself uh, as an authority or an expert. I see myself just as a gentle facilitator because I really truly believe that the, where we have an innate ability to heal ourselves. We are all highly resilient people. And part of my work is really just to hold a space for my clients so that they can tap into the wisdom and resilience that already exists within them. Gotcha. Mm. All right. And 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 how can they? How do? Oh, touch? okay, okay. Yeah, I totally yeah. forgot about uh, that. That's the most important part, Jolene. <laughs> I'm I'm not very good at marketing. Okay, okay. Yeah, so, <laughs> so okay, so um yes, so my website is claritycounseling.sg, and then you can reach me at uh, Jolene at claritycounseling.sg. Yeah. Perfect. I I'll, I'll put the uh, the details in our podcast descriptions <laughs> as well, so don't worry. <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm not. I'm not worried. Yeah, yeah. I always, I'm, like I said, you know, I always forget the yeah that part. <laughs> yeah, you're like okay, yeah. So I help uh, these people. All right, thank you. You're like okay, <laughs> yeah. but how do we get in touch? <laughs> uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that's 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 the problem. That's the problem with most helping professionals, right? We, we yeah. like, Okay, let's do the work. Let's do the work. Let's do the helping, and then we're like, oh yeah, we forgot about the 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 marketing communication part so yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> well well anyway <laughs> um, you know i just i also want to thank you for your time today i really yeah. appreciate the conversation yeah. we've had it was really yeah. fantastic and um you know perhaps you know if there's another interesting topic out there i'd love to invite you back to you know discuss more okay yeah no problem thanks for having me nicholas it was definitely a pleasure and yeah Keep in touch and have a good weekend. Will mm-hmm. do. Cheers All right. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye.